Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about culture, relationships, and society from a male and female perspective. Today, we are talking about childlessness. The rate of childless singles is growing in the West, all over the world, really, and we are going to discuss some of the reasons why that is happening, but also how this may affect society at large as this uh, cohort continues to grow, and we'll get into that at the three-minute mark. Before we do, a couple of announcements. The first one is we have a new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at podcast. few of you have already subscribed, which is awesome, and we're going to be posting the full video versions of the podcast plus a couple of shorts and clips uh, every couple of weeks. Uh, and so we would love for you to go and subscribe to that. It's a great little opportunity for you guys to send in comments and have a discussion as well. So youtube.com slash at sex sales podcast. Uh, this podcast is also sponsored by Crush Organics. They've got a huge range of CBD oil and CBD oil products. I've been using the pain cream a lot lately and oh, I get over those workouts much quicker. So get yourself some uh, Crush Organics pain cream. Go to crushorganics.com, crush with a K. Use the code Neil and you get 40% off. So crushorganics.com, use the code Neil, you get 40% off. Uh, if you live in Sydney, Melbourne or Newcastle, go to a Comedy Untamed show. We have live comedy shows in those cities plus there is a Geelong show on the cards, I believe, March 25th. It should be on sale by the time this podcast comes out. So if you live in Geelong, come to that. We've got a collection of some of the best comedians in each of those cities, plus a lot of improv. It's just a fun night all round. Eliza's been to many. So, well, actually, she's been to one, but she loved it. So, But it was the best. There you go. It was go. so much fun. So come to Comedy <laughs> Untamed, comedyuntamed.com for tickets. Uh that's all the announcements we wanted to get through. So uh, we've got a bit of time before we hit that three-minute mark. I hope you're all doing well. How are you, Eliza? Everything good? I'm good. I'm pretty good. Um, you know, same old. Adrian went camping last night, so I stayed at home alone with Remy. And I he actually slept through the night for the first time ever, but I didn't sleep because I was convinced someone was going to break in. I just oh, <laughs> was so God. paranoid. Or, yeah. I wow. sold something on Marketplace early that day and I had a man come, a scary looking man, come pick it up. Um, and I just thought he'd be coming back later at night. <laughs> scared me, even though he's really nice. That's um, probably the normal state of mind in the Central Coast anyway. But uh, we'll get is. into a bit more of that. Plus childlessness. Here we go. Oh, I love that jingle. So you were you were selling something on Facebook Marketplace. A man came to pick it up and he was scary. What was scary looking about him? Um, I don't know. I just found him a little bit uh, intense. I was selling a um, a baby swinging thing that you put a baby in um, and it swings, obviously. Are you getting – isn't, isn't Remy still a baby? Are you getting rid of the swing already? <laughs> he outgrew it after like – it has a nine kilo weight limit, which is supposed to last some like eight months. And he outgrew it at eight weeks wow. old. Um, he's a big boy. So I had to sell it. Um, and it was annoying because he used it twice and I sold it for like $40, but it cost me $180, but that's all I could sell it for. Um, anyway, so he he came and um, he seemed okay. He's just 
an interesting man, but I was showing him, I was like, oh, I'll show you how it works. And I pushed the buttons for him and I let, like, I crouched down next to the swing and it was inside my house. And he just kind of came in and crouched down next to me as well to look at it. And I just thought, oh my God, this, it was so intense how close he was to me. He just like threw me off and I was looking and I was like, okay, the baby's on the ground. There's a man in my house. <laughs> He's Ooh. crouched down next to me. Um, and then, yeah, Adrian went camping for the night and it was storming and raining and I kept hearing bangs and I was like, shit, he's coming back. Oh, no. <laughs> this guy's going to come back and abduct us. Um, and Adrian had no reception either. So, But anyway, everything was fine. Oh, well, I'm sorry you had to endure that. <laughs> I missed uh, my one opportunity to have night. a good night's sleep. Literally, Remy's never slept so good in his whole life. And wow. I didn't sleep. This man, so. this creepy looking man. Don't be creepy, dude. I mean, who who's not a bit weird that buys things on Facebook Marketplace? Have you ever bought yeah. anything on Facebook Marketplace or do you just sell stuff? I actually, I sell heaps of things. Um, I bought one thing once re- a couple of weeks ago. I bought like a bunch of um, these like fleece secondhand onesies for Remy because he goes through. So I've spent like thousands of dollars on clothes and half of which he hasn't even gone into because he grows so fast. And I was like, oh, I'll do secondhand. Like, and I went to their house and it was pouring rain and I went to pick them up um, and she was like, oh, I won't be there. My husband will have to get them to you. So I was like, okay. And then I knock on the door. No one's there. And I'm standing in the rain. I knock again, waiting and waiting. And then finally these kids answer the door and they're like, oh, dad's doing a poo. <laughs> he can't come. He'll be down in a minute. <laughs> he was so embarrassed. He came down. He was really nice. Um, but it was really wholesome because um, they actually threw in heaps of stuff for me. So um, they gave me heaps of free clothes. They had two boys, so they just gave me heaps of stuff. But unfortunately, it was supposed to be for winter this year. So I bought it for like a one and one and a half year old, even though Remy will only be like seven months and he's already outgrowing. He didn't even get to fit into anything. So oh. I'm going to have to donate it. He's a quick growing boy. It's going <laughs> to be huge. He's a little potato. That's <laughs> a uh, big potato. That story reminds me of uh, a time when I was trying to, I was calling my the first girl I ever had a crush on. I would have been about 14 or 15. This was back when people called others and actually spoke with them. And so I called her her um, her home phone because even then people had a mobile phone. They were just coming in, but it I was like, oh, I'm going well. to be romantic. I'm going to call her home phone. Aww. And then um, her brother picked up and I was like, is Kate there? And he's like, oh, yeah, she's just taking a dump. And then, <laughs> 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 yeah, funny stuff. Such a brother. Yeah. Such a brother thing to do, isn't it? And that that, uh, that actually was a bit of unrequited love. Anyway, uh, she never really saw me more as uh, anything more than a friend. But I I like to think it's because she associated uh, me calling her (laughs) while she was in that kind of vulnerable position. And as a result, uh, that just like, you know, transmuted Mm. in her mind as like disgust. Can't come back from it. Yeah, it had nothing to do with me clearly. But yeah, uh, that was a very funny story. Um, today, what are we going to talk about? We're talking about people who uh, are choosing not to have children because that's a growing cadre of the population. And there's a statistic here that I found very interesting. Uh, recent data predicts that 45% of women between ages 25 and 44 will be single and childless by the time 2030 rolls around. The number of single women mm-hmm. in the US, so this is the US, is expected to rise 1.2% every year. Now, with that statistic, 
I mean, when you're taking into account people who are 25 to 35, that doesn't mean that they don't, that, I mean, even 25 to 44, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't want children. They might not be at that phase of their life yet, but it is a very, uh, it's an expansive group and it's growing and it's um, pretty similar with men also. And some of the projections, it's very hard to measure these as you move into the future because they're not sure if the rates are increasing or decreasing, but uh, some of them are quite interesting. Some are even projecting that nearly 50% of people by the time we're in our senior years will not have children and will likely be single. And that's for a lot of people, that's a choice. But I was listening to this podcast recently, uh, Modern Wisdom, great podcast, talks about a lot of the similar topics we do. And a guy who did a long study into this phenomenon, he found that uh, 80% of the people who never ended up having children actually wanted to have children in some way, shape or form or mm. if, if they were asked a basic question like if, you know, if, if circumstances were appropriate, would you have chosen to have children? A lot of them did say yes. So there's a lot of uh, what people are calling involuntary childlessness that's occurring and it's sad. Mm. I, I, I watched a few TED Talks uh, and a few I, I sort of scoured through a few uh, discussion boards about people who really wanted to have children and, and just it just didn't happen for them. Either they prioritized their career and, and maybe they didn't meet someone or they had a five, six year. This was a common one. They had a sort of five, six year relationship in their mid, late 20s, early 30s mm. and that didn't work out for whatever reason. And then it was just a, a bit too late for them after that and it was really sad, some of the, some of the stories there. And, of course, this 80% statistic um, – there's so many variables at play there, but uh, it might be fair to assume that at least of this growing cohort of people who are not having children, a lot of them might have wanted to have children and a lot also didn't. And I, I also want to make it very clear at the top of this podcast, no one's at all trying to shame anyone for not having children. And, and if you make that choice, that's much better for society. We do not want people yeah. who do not want to have kids having kids. That's terrible. Um, so in no way, shape or form is this, uh, shaming anyone, judging anyone, anything like that. There's a lot of judgment in this topic. I don't know. I'm sure you've uh, experienced, uh, you know, maybe even either sides of the spectrum on this, but yeah. on, on social media, a lot of people are judging the other side and it, it does come across like there's a, there's a, uh, there's projection going on in this mm -hmm. kind of judgment and. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to be judging anyone who's in that situation, either wanted to have children and didn't or didn't have children as a choice. Um, so I just want to make that very clear. But uh, I would like to discuss and, and just ruminate on some of the implications for society, political, cultural, social, that this growing group of people who uh, are choosing not to have children and remaining single uh, – what those implications may be. So uh, let's hear your broad thoughts on the on the subject to start off with. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit tricky because it's it always seems to come down to, which I understand because women carry the babies, but it seems to come down to what women want. Um, and that's what all the research is showing. Like, do women want this? Do women want that? Um, are they infertile? Are they choosing not to? Uh, it's kind of sad and, and I was a little bit surprised to see how little of the studies mentioned men um, and their thoughts because obviously there's two people to take a baby. Um, there's been a huge decline in in babies all over 
the world. But I did learn some interesting things about that. Um, like one, people that, for example, from Hispanic um, communities would used to have 10 kids, now might only have four, um, which is still a lot more than the average in Australia. Um, and the other thing I learned as well is that girls, um, there's been a big decline in girls under the age of 19, so basically children having babies themselves. Um, so that's actually a, a really positive thing uh, because of safe sex education, access to birth control, all those kind of things. Even that's another reason. Obviously, a, a big contributing factor is that women, um, and majority of this comes down to women, are having babies later in life um, based on career, personal choices, relationships, A, B, C, D, whatever. Um, And because they're having babies later in life, sometimes they only have one because it's going to fit into their life with only having one baby. Um, So I'm actually in my mother's group, I'm the youngest one in there, which I was really surprised about, especially being on the central coast. (laughs) I thought (laughs) I'd be the oldest. Um, But yeah, there's like eight or nine of us or something. And I'm the youngest, I'm the only one in my 20s. So that was really surprising to me. Wow. Never, never know. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, so pretty interesting. We did do a podcast. I, I can't remember if it was the last year or the year before on fertility rates, but we focused more on just the broad yeah. rates of uh, how many you know children are being born per woman in different countries. But uh, in this one, I think it's worthwhile focusing on that particular group of people who wanted to have children, but for, for whatever reason, either felt like they couldn't or just were prevented from having those children. Um, I, I really do wonder w- whether society could do better in, in enabling people to have children in a way that still takes into account all the cultural advancements that we've made in terms of gender equality and, and careerism and just the egalitarian ethos that we now have. Uh, a lot of it is also sort of what we talked about in in last podcast, which is there aren't a lot of men that are living up to uh, the the minimum requirements of uh, pr- particularly professional women. And there's this sort of stereotype that's promulgated a lot in, in kind of red pill circles about the, the depressed alpha widow with her cats. And that's not necessarily true at all. I think, yeah, sure, that stereotype doesn't fall out of the sky. But a lot of it, it, se- it seems like a lot of um, women, but I think singles in, in, in general are just making rational choices and and saying, yeah. okay, I would like to have kids if I can find a partner that um, I can trust to have kids with, if I can find a partner that still takes into account my needs, if mm-hmm. I can make sure that this is not going to be some sort of trap for me where I'm, I'm stuck in an unhappy marriage for the next 10 years. And those are big risks when you do get married, when you do have children. And, and a lot of people are just making rational choices and saying the risks might be a bit too high. I would want kids in an ideal world, all else being equal. I would like to have kids, but I'm still much happier being single and childless than being in an unhappy marriage uh, with a husband or wife who doesn't care about my needs. So I think that's a much larger phenomenon than yeah. people realize. And I don't think it's this, uh, oh, like the, you know, the person in their 50s crying at home because they're alone. I think that's definitely a stereotype. And there's people in my family who are who are single and very career driven and, and, uh, you know, nearing their senior years now. And they're very happy. They're very, uh, they're very confident. They're, they're very, 
uh, satisfied with how their life has turned out. So uh, I I think that stereotype is just ridiculous. And Mm. then when it when it when we come to the second part, is, is there is there something about marriage or just the way we conduct ourselves in relationships that are, that are making people, I mean, you know, we have the MGTOW movement among men, but is there a similar phenomenon mm. among women where, you know, again, they, they might say, yeah, if, if all these uh, conditions were satisf- satisfied, I would have children, but it's just too much of a risk. You know, I, I know I'm going to be the one who has to likely give up my career ambitions and uh, I'm more likely to be cheated on and things like that and then also from the male perspective they'll say well i'm the one that's most likely to be divorced and you know people seem to be selectively picking certain statistics to develop a much larger narrative as to why they 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 are rationally making a choice to uh refrain from marriage and and children do you find that among maybe your friends or any any kind of people that you talk about who who sort of just made a rational choice thinking well it's just it's just the safer, less riskier option to to stay single? For sure. I mean, not even just necessarily single, but being childless. Um, can you hear Remy in the background? Yeah, it's a, pro- it's a perfect uh, <laughs> soundscape for this podcast. Sorry. He's playing. Um, that's him happy squealing. Sorry. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people that have chosen about withholding, waiting for the right opportunity. And one of the big reasons that I don't think is often discussed, and to be fair, I haven't heard that many people saying this, but I think at least in my circles, it's definitely on a subconscious level. But when you think about attachment theory that really only came about in the 90s or 2000s, and then now in the last like five or so years, it's became become really popular in the last five, 10 years to understand it. And people are really getting a solid understanding of developmentally what happens when you have trauma or broken um, parents or relationships that break down, um, childhood adversity, anything like that. And now that we as millennials that are usually the ones having babies now are, are aware of these things, we're thinking, I don't want to get in with a partner um, that there is a risk of these things. So a lot of people I know were finding the ideal partner or someone that I, they know is going to be enough of a presence for their child's life, which for some women is harder than it seems, um, unfortunately. And I also know um, a lot of people, surprisingly a lot, that just say the world is going in such a scary place environmentally with technology, all these things, the rates of depression, anxiety, that even though they'd love to have a family, it feels wrong to bring a child and selfish to bring a child into this world, which I totally understand. I actually grappled with that a little bit myself a lot. Um, Thinking about like what kind of world are our kids going to be growing up into? Um, Another reason I think as well is that we're starting to prioritize our own comfort and our own um, well-being and things like that and also just our own desires and wants. So when we're prioritizing these things and thinking about how a child comes into our life, it's not really so easy now that we understand, you know, how much we need an attachment with our primary caregivers. So we can't just be like, I'll have a kid and pop them in daycare because one, daycare is really expensive. Two, you might think that it's more beneficial to have that child with you for at least the first year or whatever, how many months or years um, to have that benefit. And three, can you afford this? And is that what, what works for you and your family? What do you have to give up? Can you take a year off in your career? Can you take more than a year? Um, 
Also, the, the physical changes that can occur and the risks during pregnancy are massive. So along with the declining fertility rates, although there are higher rates of um, successful healthy births, so I read that I think in Australia, I can't remember, I'm pretty sure it was Australia, but it was nine out of 10 births are very healthy and safe. Um, well, I wouldn't say the birth is safe, but the baby is healthy. Um, so it's considered a successful birth, which is really positive. However, there's also increasing rates of miscarriage or at least increasing reports of miscarriage or understanding of what a miscarriage is. So um, we don't know if there's much more of an increase in miscarriage, but based on the fact that we now are more likely to test earlier and we have more access to um, pregnancy, what's the thing, (laughs) pregnancy tests, (laughs) let's say pregnancy sticks, Um, we often find out that we have a miscarriage because essentially what happens with a miscarriage is that you bleed and it might be a week later than your period was due or a couple of weeks. So some people back in the day would just think, oh, my period was late. Whereas now you're, you're likely to test exactly two weeks after because uh, pregnancy tests are so accurate these days that you can find out if you're literally two weeks pregnant wow. um, post-conception. Yeah. So it's really, really, um, which I always say to my friends, like if you're trying for a baby, don't test until at least a week or two after your period is due. That way, like if you had an early miscarriage, which is a one in three chance apparently, um, you might you don't have to go through the pain of thinking, knowing it was a miscarriage and you might think it was your period because it really comes the same way. Um, so I think that the rise in this or the rise of understanding this is also like there's a lot of trauma associated to pregnancy and birth for women as well as social media and what's discussed on social media. I know that when I was pregnant and on TikTok, and all I could see was these horrific stories about what happened to moms, babies, all these things. Um, also, just the reality of what it's like having a kid um, is talked about so openly now and, and so realistically that people are getting turned off by it and thinking, I'm not doing that yet until I've got all my money. I've got a house. I've got this. I've got that. I'm married. But how achievable is that, at least in Australia as well these days? So. There's so many factors that go into it. I do think the environment and and the world that's coming is a really big one, though. Yeah, I I wonder about that um, judgment where people who are choosing not to have kids for environmental reasons think that it's selfish for people who are having children because, like I said earlier, I wouldn't want to judge anyone who's choosing not to have children, but then it feels like they're kind of judging people who are having children when yeah often people are just having one or two children now anyway and that's you know that's leaving an equal amount of environmental impact um because the parents are um, you know obviously going to pass on eventually and then there's two people yeah. there to replace them so i'm a little bit critical of that i don't i don't i, I can mm. i can see the um i can see where they're getting that opinion from and I think it's very um I always get them mixed up. It's either Hobbesian or Rousseauian, but it's the one that's very cynical. And I think there are far more uh, positive narratives that can be said about having children even in a world where we uh, are seemingly running out of resources and things. In fact, this person I was talking to a couple of days ago who's a bit older, he's in his sixties, there's always something that that in the media that's saying the world is coming to an end. And it's also a yeah. lot of there's, there are media profit-driven incentives to make us all feel like the world is coming to an end. And that's not to discount uh, actual climate science and things like that. By no means am I trying to say that. But uh, yeah, I, 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 
I just don't see how on an individual level someone having children could be ever seen as a selfish act. So I'm a little bit critical of that. Uh, but uh, coming back to the people who are choosing, who, are, who, who wanted to have children but might see other factors and think it's not necessarily appropriate, um, culturally, something you mentioned there, what people are being exposed to on social media is very different to, I suppose, what people were exposed to pre-social media and even, yeah. you know, uh, pre-1960s where they it was the norm for, for women to generally give birth sometime in their 20s, maybe even earlier. And so there wasn't really a pathway for people to, to unless you were in like the, the uppermost echelons of society, it was generally frowned upon if you were both a woman or a man who didn't have children, but especially a woman. And where I'm also critical of maybe some of these kind of conservative pundits who are who have all this invective towards women that choose not to have children, well, that's not going to help anyone. You're just making people feel worse for not having children and that, if anything, reinforces the narrative of, you know, the previous order being kind of predicated by patriarchal control if you're sitting there saying like, oh, you're, you know, you're living for yourself and being selfish um, by not having children, how does that make people feel? That makes them feel terrible. And that's just going to turn them further away from f family or what could be considered a traditional way of living. And I, I, I wonder what you're exposed to in terms of uh, positive stories and, and positive emotions about pregnancy and childbirth. Is it, would you say on social media, it's predominantly negative from what you you were seeing or is it mixed or I, it was definitely mixed like I remember seeing um in some ways I found actually I found preg pregnancy really traumatic and I it was the worst period of my life I hated being pregnant with a passion and I definitely think that that was catered to me in my social media feeds um I was seeing a lot about pregnancy loss um complications during birth. I had so much anxiety during my pregnancy. Um, it was and all these complications and things like that. So I was on, stressed constantly. And I think that, yeah, it was definitely reflected on my social media. However, I have found that um, being post-birth, now that my like social media has changed now to having a baby, I did see in the later stages of my pregnancy as well, like my feed would be coming up saying um, things like, you know, the, the tiredness you feel now in your pregnancy is nothing is a 10 times worse than the tiredness you feel with a newborn. And that was comforting to me. Um, or there was a trend going around where people were saying, oh, just people will tell you, just wait, you don't get any sleep. And then they were like, well, just wait until you get your first smile. Just wait until you get, you know, you cuddle your baby to sleep. Um, and then there were times where like when I first had um, Remy, I had um, like milk supply issues for weeks and so he was breastfeeding 14 to 16 hours in a 24-hour period. It was constant. And I was bleeding. I was, it was terrible. It was so hard. And I would sit on the couch with him and I literally couldn't get up. I couldn't do anything. And I had a really bad recovery as well. I had a C-section. Um, I just couldn't move. And I just felt like I was – and I, wouldn't, I didn't feel like I was failing, but I was just like really um, upset about it at times. And then I remember – I saw a video of a woman on TikTok in the exact same position and she was talking about how she was upset and that was kind of relatable. But then people were commenting saying, I have an eight-month-old or a six-month-old or a two-year-old and I wish so badly I could go back to that time 
where I was just holding my baby for 20 hours a day, cuddling him and taking that and cherish those moments. Um, they'll be like, and then people were saying, soon your baby's going to be up running around, calling, screeching, and you'll miss the times where you could sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day. So it really helped in putting things into perspective. And then I saw a video even the other day, like I, Remy struggles with his sleep a lot, um, bless him. And I saw a video the other day that this woman made where she was holding the baby, rocking it, and um, like crying or really struggling. And then she made a video about her like future self coming in saying, don't worry, it gets better. Can I just hold him one last time? I'd love to rock him to sleep. And I, like just things like that have been so helpful for me. So I do think that it's been really positive. Um, but I also think that the way that parenthood is portrayed now on social media, it's very like realistic. Like now it's kind of trending to be like realistic day in the life of a mother. And it's basically <laughs> showing a mom that has very little self-autonomy and identity and things like that because it, their entire day revolves around the baby, which obviously is what having a kid is. Um, and when people always ask me like um, all the time, like how do you feel about having a baby attached to you constantly? Like Adrian went camping this weekend and we laughed thinking, imagine if I went away for a night. Like at this point, even though Remy's almost six months, that's that's laughable. Like we just, it'd be impossible. We couldn't do it. Um, and people will say like, how does that feel? And I'm like, because my love language is physical touch. I don't mind it because <laughs> I, I love cuddles. I love holding him. I love being with him all the time. But if someone's like is really against physical touch, I can imagine they would be so drained by this. And I do see that a lot on social media, people saying like, I'm so touched out. Like I can't look at my husband. I don't even want to peck him on the lips. I just, don't want anyone to come near me because I'm so touched out all the time. So then people think like, how much do you sacrifice of yourself to have a child? Um, there's all these thought processes. And like we were saying before, like it's almost people are taking it rationally and thinking, well, like I know my friend um, who really wanted a baby young and that she's actually made a decision now. She said, I want to live a little bit more before I have a kid. I want to work more. I want to get more money. I want to travel. So she's doing all these things. She's saving money. Um, and we're, we're almost 30, like in our late twenties. So then it comes to the risk of, well, what happens if you do it five years time, there's, you know, a tenfold increase of risk. And when you're above, like, I think it's like 34, 35, it's called a geriatric pregnancy. Like <laughs> they consider you so old, um, during your pregnancy at that age. So that was my which mom. is really shocking. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people too. Everyone I know nowadays, I mean, in trends show and stats show that people are having babies much older. And I remember growing up, I was told constantly, you need to have babies before you're 30 because then your baby's going to have Down syndrome. They'll have disabilities. They'll have blah, 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 blah. And obviously those chances are increased the older you get. There's no denying that. But I was so surprised seeing how many people that I knew or seeing just around me, people having pregnancies in their mid thirties, late thirties, even in their forties, um, in these mother's forum groups I'm in, like, it's, it's amazing to me. So people are seeing that now and thinking, I don't need to have a baby by 27 years old. I can have a baby at 35 and it's just as likely, well, almost just as likely to be successful and safe, especially with um, in Australia, how many ultrasounds you get offered, the healthcare that's offered to you. you. If there's things that are wrong and you opt in for the testing, you're going to know it by 10 weeks, basically, for most 
um, complications when you get like the specific testing done. So it's pretty amazing considering the techno- technological advancements that think, well, maybe we can push this off later to life. I've heard um, very and, different yeah. um, perspectives on that because I mm. also hear people saying as soon as it gets to mid-30s in particular, but even 30 onwards, it does, like you say, become substantially harder to get pregnant and also the the risks of certain illnesses increase. Are the chances exact of getting pregnant are harder, or, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I remember seeing, I know that, um, for example, if you're under 30 years old and you are worried about conceiving and how long you've been trying to have a baby for, so um, Adrian and I didn't fall pregnant until six months, so that's how long it took us. Um, and I went to a doctor um, and I saw this everywhere or online as well, and my doctor was like, come back after at least a year if you still haven't fallen pregnant. But if you're older than 30, they say come back in six months if you haven't fallen pregnant, um, and then we can look at um, – other issues, but I did read off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure if you're under 30, something like 85 or 90% of people fall pregnant within the first 20, um, first 12 months. And then if you're older than 30, it's still 80% of people fall pregnant within um, the first year and a half to two years. Um, but then obviously when you're past, if you, if you wait two years and then you're 35 or whatever, then it gets even harder. So that's why they can intervene a little bit earlier if you're older and yeah, falling pregnant is definitely harder for some women. Our eggs, um, go down really, really fast. Actually, since birth, (laughs) your eggs are just reducing in size constantly. Um, I remember I had my eggs checked once. Um, and at that time I had like I don't know. I, I feel like I shouldn't talk about it because I actually can't remember if I'm like doing it with speaking about this and that like correctly, but it said I had like 14 viable eggs. And I was like, is that all? I thought I'd be like wow. hundred or something. Um, but that was just at that given time in that month. But mm. still I was surprised. That, and she was like, that's pretty normal. Like that's at your age, that's pretty standard. I don't think there was eggs. I think there were like follicles or something like that. There was a different name, but it was essentially the same thing. So that just reduces more and more as you get older. And I do know, obviously, the chance of disability um, increases, but it's my understanding is it's quite minor. Um, I do remember being told forever there's a one in four chance of having a child with Down syndrome if you're older than 30, but I don't actually know if that stat is correct or if that's just what we were always told during high school and things like that. I had to look it up. Yeah. Wow. That That's quite high if um, that's yeah. the case. Yeah. You just can never tell because there'd also be other factors at play. Uh, it could be that societally we, we push people to uh, work jobs that aren't exactly conducive to their physical and biological health. And that's why after 30, mm. they become it becomes harder for them to get pregnant. Or it could just be age. It's likely a combination of both. What are we putting into our bodies and things like that as well? That dramatically affects fertility. And this is clearly the one issue where as much as we um, profess gender equality and, and how uh, capable we both are of doing certain things, this is this is definitely the female domain. Um, women are the ones who are getting pregnant and the ones who are then giving birth. I obviously don't need to say this, but... Uh, it makes it yeah. a lot harder than if a, if a woman is, um, say, in her mid-30s and looking for a partner, but then that partner has another 10 years to potentially 
have a have a child where she yeah. knows she doesn't have that long and then you get this stereotype among men that age who then just think well I'd rather not date a woman who's 34 or 35 because I know there's a clock there and I'm going to be pressured into having a child much sooner than yep. I'd like to and so I'd rather date a 27 28 year old and then those men get judged heavily because you know they they seem to be uh dating women younger than them because it's easier for them to control them and things like that. And and look, all these stereotypes don't just fall out of the sky, but there's a lot of judgment passed uh, either way in this, in this situation. And, you know, I, I, I wonder if, you know, culturally we need better social structures to enable women who want to have children either earlier or um, older yeah. to have that support rather than just uh, the nuclear family and uh, the husband often having to work and and then she's just at home without mm. the you know without the aunties the sisters the cousins the uh, the other the the, the, village, the senior yeah. citizens that are all helping her and not even the extended family anymore um and mm. i wonder if some sort of positive social structures like that existed in our modern society whether that would incentivize people who might be hesitant to have children to actually have children uh, i also mm. wonder uh among men if it's still seen as like you know there's the stereotype of the deadbeat dad and just how much of a loser you become if you're a dad and how you're always being nagged and you get a pot belly and you have sandals and you're just basically homer simpson <laughs> uh, that narrative i think kills a lot of particularly kind of com- competitive and ambitious men who want to be perceived a bit a bit more respectfully than that uh i know it's all in jest and, and these are mainly like sitcoms and whatnot but look, that sort of seeps into your consciousness and a lot yeah. of men just don't want to be seen as the dumb, pathetic, deadbeat dad. That's not a particularly uh, enticing narrative for them and I wonder if uh, for women it's also, you know, the 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 mother with no sense of self who has to just yeah. clean nappies all the time and that's, and that's sometimes how everything. it's... Yeah, yeah, and that's sometimes how it's portrayed and, and these sorts yeah. of narratives. I, I think what you are talking about before, having a realistic... Uh, recount of of what motherhood and and fatherhood and parenthood is actually like, but then also having a positive interpretation of that when you said those things about how impactful it was when you heard people say, oh, just wait till you hear them, till you see them smile, just wait till you get that first hug. It makes it all worthwhile. I think those sorts of narratives are really powerful in shaping people's minds and and hearts as to whether they want to have children. And I, I also wonder if, you know, people in their early 20s are a lot, a lot more cynical about the the, the tradition, yeah. what could be perceived as the traditional way of doing things, and then as they age, they mellow out on that and understand maybe that there are uh, deeper facets of meaning to to potentially be had from uh, rearing a family. And some people get to that point a lot later than they would like, and and there is still this biology that we have to, as modern as our world is, we've we've still got that in- inherent biology that we can't ignore. And if you if you come exactly. to that con- conclusion in your in your thirties, then okay, you then have to uh, find a partner, and then not rush into something like a long term marriage or a you know parenthood, even though people do and they probably shouldn't. But uh, there's a lot of time that goes into these things if you want to do it properly, and if you want to make this kind of huge time investment. And you want children. It's the, the earlier you realize that. I'm not saying that you have to then 
that you should just like Im immediately move into that. But the earlier you realize that, the more I feel like you can plan. And I just wonder if because society's narratives today are very confusing, some people mm -hmm. want to do this, some people think it's unethical to do this. There's all these sort of convoluted ideas about what the best way forward is. Uh, some people don't come to the the decision, uh, the final decision as to whether they want children till they're late 30s or till even their early 40s yeah. and then and then that's where look, look men do have a big privilege there you can you can still physically and biologically do it in your 40s um and for a lot of women they, i know you said that you can now and there is uh technology that makes it possible but it's just a, it's just so much harder so yeah, and there's also the privilege of being able to access that technology like ivf and the costs this can be tens of thousands of dollars it's a really good point actually and although men don't even have it that lucky anymore considering i've been reading so much about obviously we've talked about this um in a couple years ago in podcasts about fertility but it seems that men's quality of their sperm is decreasing faster than women's fertility rates yeah, so really bad them being older isn't actually as beneficial as it used to be but i do remember when i was single and dating and i often ask guys if they'd want kids and when i was dating guys even in their 30s they'd all be like so not all but so often be like oh not for like another 10 years and i was always so surprised by that um that that was kind of like the new norm um and i think that society has those big expectations that you're talking about and me having i personally have had a really really positive experience in motherhood um and i find it like cringeworthy and i'm i'm too embarrassed to tell people that it's been like the most meaningful and amazing time of my life like Should. it seems so like i know i just don't know why i'm so uncomfortable to say it to people like i just I feel like people are like, and I know that I even used to eye roll about it a little bit at times too. And I would see women say that being like, your life doesn't have meaning till you have kids. And I'd be like, fuck off. Obviously my life had meaning before, but it's like a whole different level um, of meaning. But anyway, I just quickly looked up those stats <laughs> because I don't know why I had in my head one of one in four above 35 might have a child with um, Down syndrome. And clearly that's a message that, I've been receiving from society because I have seen that so many times everywhere. But the actual rates of that is one in 686 at 30 and one in 240 at 35 years. And at 45, the Down syndrome rate increases to one in 53. So those are pretty good odds. <laughs> They're pretty yeah. great odds um, for for older um, women getting pregnant. Um miscarriage does rise though massively. So when you are 20 to 24, you have a 9% chance of miscarriage. Um, and when you are 40, it increases to 75%. So, and then there's, um, you're more likely to have a stillbirth as well. And you're more likely to have, end up um, with preeclampsia, which is a really serious pregnancy uh, condition that is kind of Basically, a telltale sign is uh, high blood pressure, and you're more likely to end up in a C-section. So, yeah, mm. there you go. Those are the actual stats. <laughs> it's very interesting that you find it cringy to express the the joy that you've experienced from yeah. actually having um, a baby. But I can I can see why that might come about because the 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 similar to what I was talking about before with the, the deadbeat dad, there might be a similar kind of stereotype with among women with with, with uh, 
with a cringy, you know, hyper positive mm. mother who's lost her sense of yeah. self or something like that. But that's a that's a dangerous idea for society and for people who want to have children. I think we got to move past that and look. Mm. I, I, I I would love to hear about all the joy that you've had having a baby. I'm sure the listeners would too. So uh, don't feel like oh. it's cringy at all. You can post as much as you want all those baby pictures. Um, I wonder if uh, as well like the, the class distinction at play here, I, I, I couldn't find any studies in particular, but uh, how how many people are choosing not to have children if they're in a lower socioeconomic environment versus people choosing not to have children in a upper socioeconomic environment? Yeah. My guess is that it would be much lower, the rate of people choosing not to have children in the in the working and, and sort of welfare class. And how does that affect society at large as well? When um, not saying that the children born into these sorts of families lack any kind of human dignity or anything like that, but when there's a higher proportion of people being brought brought into lower socioeconomic, lesser uh, lesser developed uh, environments, uh, how does that affect the proportion of people in society writ large who might you know? Mm-hmm. That that that's then a growing proportion of the population, and in twenty thirty years time, how does that affect politics? Uh, I've I've mm-hmm. I've read mixed things on that because a lot of people were wary of this even in the mid twentieth century. But I mean, IQ is not the only measure of uh, economic development, but IQ has steadily increased up to about the nineties, and then it actually sort of tapers off a bit. And I think it's going down, and I, I have no doubt that's because of social media. But um, <laughs> It, it, it's still yeah. dramatically increased through the 20th century. Um, I suppose the other thing I, I wanted to then touch on is, yeah, the, the political implications and the cultural implications when it's no longer the norm for people to have a family. How, did then, how does that manifest with politicians? What are they going to be saying? What is their message in 20, 30 years' time when 50% of the population are not going to relate to a message about working families and supporting families? Because today in Australia even the the message that probably that that seemingly wins the most amount of support in the public is quite often the message that integrates something about working families support for families our party is better for families our party uh supports families more than the other party and that's no longer going to be effective in 20 30 40 years and then mm-hmm. and then it could create a negative f- feedback loop where there's less policies that are engendering a a a positive opinion and, and inclination to uh, start a family. And as a result, that even de- decreases the rates of people wanting to have kids even more. So uh, yeah. the, the politics what will they of this do is very to try and Increase the rates as well, like their attempts. I don't remember years ago they had the baby bonus where if you had a baby, you get given $5,000 from the government, uh, which nowadays <laughs> wouldn't get you too far. Um, and... Now, though, we're trying to – we're increasing the um, paid maternity leave. So currently what I had was 18 weeks and then it's going to be – in a year it's going to be 20 weeks and then it's going to be 22. It's going to cap at like 24 weeks in um, four or five years or something, which is really good at six months. And what they're doing for paternity leave as well, my friend that has a baby, um, her um, her husband gets five months off paid leave so she's just had five months off and now her husband's getting five months off both paid which is amazing um and that's just that's not a policy though that's not a government policy that's his work 
a good mm. work, supportive workplace culture. But also what is this, the downside of that if things turn like America where they're like we need to intervene in this um, and banning abortion or banning contraception, um, banning certain health care if the woman might potentially be pregnant. It's really, really scary. And there are times when I hear about these things and I think, thank God I had a boy because it is terrifying to think about what laws or policies or whatever could be brought out as a desperate attempt to ensure that the um, population doesn't continue to decrease at such a staggering rate. And I read the other day, and I don't know if there's how factual this is, but I read that I think it was a politician or a political party, something like that was saying that women that are in um, in comas or have long-term um, decreased brain activity where basically they have limited chance of waking up should be used as surrogates. <laughs> like the ethics around that are mind blowing and so scary. Like, can you imagine that? I just oh yeah, America. God. That that, that culture war <laughs> issue really came to the fore last year, didn't it? And it was actually pretty shocking. Yeah. I didn't think it would get to that point. Um, yeah. Some of those states, a lot of people are very religious, and and democratically they might yeah. want that. So it's it's a it is a tough-ish situation there but I, I don't think that even increases the fertility rates they've shown i think in hungary they've done a lot of those kind of conservative policies and the fertility rate hasn't even increased that much in france which is far more liberal small mm. l liberal it has a much higher fertility rate and it's generally because they have more progressive policies that that support fine that economically support mm. women to have children so if you're just looking at it from a fertility uh rate increase perspective i'm not convinced that the cultural conservative policies are actually what is effective i think that's just coming from a very religious um mindset i don't at first when i saw it i thought oh are they trying to just increase their population here but no i think they're just really really adamant about that one issue a certain portion of americans in particular um but yeah that you can't look if you force people to do it it's never it's not good for the kids and it's not good for society. You got to actually encourage people to have children, and well, not necessarily. Not sorry, not encourage people to have children. Encourage the people who want to have children to have children. Because if there's this eighty percent of people who wanted to have children but then felt like they couldn't do it, that is yeah. something that we can try and fix. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I wonder if, on top of all the economic incentives there does need to be more of a positive narrative. I think what I was talking about before about um, modern parenthood and not, not, you know, implying that you're living some traditional conservative lifestyle just because you choose to have a, a, a child. Like it can be very fulfilling and um, all the things that you've been talking about. I think that's, that's really important that people hear that perspective as well. And I think that will mm-hmm. go a long way because they're trying that in Japan and, South Korea, where yeah. their, their fertility rates are very low and they have no migration. So those are the countries that are going to p- experience the worst effects of population decrease in the coming decades. But those those effects, they're not working. The, the, I know it's been very mm-hmm. early on, but the, these trends just continue. It's, it's maybe goes from 1.1 to 1.2 or something, but mm-hmm. it's nowhere near the replacement level of, of two or That's at least right. a sort of healthy level of maybe 1.8 and then you can like bring in some migrants but as soon as it dips below 1.5 they do say uh, the geopolitical analysts were, were saying that it, it gets 
it starts to get into uh, precarious territory for the population in another 20, 30 years when that cohort cannot fulfill the labor requirements that are necessary for the for the continuation of the economy as it is. But we'll see. We'll see in the next 10, 20 years. Some of these countries are far more ahead in those um, population decline curves. So uh, we'll see. I think Australia, it's not as high as America, but uh, it's... It's, I think, 1.7 or something like that last time I looked, um, which is below replacement level. But then we we have much higher rates of migration. So the population in Australia is still projected to double by the end of this century. Um, so we as yeah, a country think, seem um, to be in a better position. I think you made a good point when you're talking about women that want to have babies but don't want to because all the research I was showing was actually saying that the, the amount of women in Australia that don't want babies hasn't decreased slightly, um, has only decreased slightly, sorry, but yet they just are not having kids. Or also the other thing it said was that if what you say that you wanted, however many kids you thought you wanted um, or the desired number of children, you usually have less than that. Um, so I wanted two or three kids, maybe more. I always wanted lots of kids. Um, and now we've had one kid obviously and we keep talking about well we need to decide are we going to have a second child because if Remy's going to be our only baby then I might stay at home with him for a couple of years or whatever Um, but if we're going to have more kids then I need to put him into daycare go back to work save money get maternity leave again Um, all these things that you have to be taken into consideration the other thing I learned was that um, less educate women with no um, tertiary education um, and women that are, have higher education are no more or less likely to want children. They actually want children the same amount. However, the women that don't have the tertiary education are just more likely to end up having children compared to the women that do mm. have higher levels. There but the go. amount, the desired amount of children is actually the same and the desire to have children is the same. That's really, really interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if there's like a, more of an opportunity cost to giving up a yeah. a high paid career compared to yeah uh, either no career or a, or a lesser paid career. Uh, I think we need to restructure it, just education in general. I know there was there was a general progressive push to put more people into tertiary education, but the consequences of that have been well, the value of that tertiary education is not what it used to be. I I read recently that some of the big firms in America no longer even require um, a tertiary education for certain jobs because they know that they're no no longer necessarily getting the cream of the crop. When my mum was in university, it was something like 20 or 30% of people went to uni. It might have even been less than that. And now it's nearing 50. And for a lot of jobs, you don't necessarily need that formal qualification. It's more of a sort of idealistic push uh, that if everyone gets a degree, it'll be a far more educated world and 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 yeah. a prosperous world. Well, like there's also a trade-off there because you, you need to allow people to um, develop life skills and build relationships and do these things that your twenties are quite uh, well suited to doing. If you're not burdened with like seven, sometimes seven years of tertiary education, and then all the hex debt on top of that. Uh, certain industries, they should just like move towards a, a one-year diploma or 
on the job training and apprenticeship like they do in the trades. I, I know definitely in media, it's just, it's completely obsolete having a degree now. And because the world is changing so much, tertiary education should probably be something you do part-time for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. if, if you just finish yeah. high school, then either you start working or like the, the really like top 5% of people can go on to do your laws and your medicines and whatever. But then everyone else should maybe learn on the job or just do like a one day a week course for the for their whole 20s and that way they can they can earn money they're not riddled with debt they can still they can sort of uh they can they can become more educated but over a long period of time because i also heard that most people once they finish um formal education it's something like 95 percent of people never read another non-fiction book and so that's wow. yeah i don't know I, yeah. I i can't attest to how accurate that statistic is but i remember reading that and being quite shocked and if if there's this sort of permanent education and skills training that in, in certain industries you have to do anyway that seems yeah. more conducive to better you know social health emotional health uh basic life developments yeah. and just allowing people in their early 20s to really think about things like family planning rather than having to wait till they're you know maybe they've finished their PhD, and, and this is a very sort of middle and upper class thing, but maybe they've finished their studies in their mid-20s, sometimes their late 20s, then obviously you want to work for a bit and then you might yeah. want to travel then and, and you know, f find yourself and all that, although I think that sometimes gets a bit much for people. But then, you know, it's not, it's not that it's too late, but it just becomes far more uh, – it's just, it's just harder when there's a smaller amount of time that you have to, to do these things. And, and then – like I said earlier in this podcast, so many people uh, have a long-term relationship that they anticipate will be their their final relationship and, and the one that they uh, spend their life with and have children with. But then after four or five years, that can very sadly fail. Yeah. And by then someone's 33 and then they think, I've got to start again at 33. And and then if you're a woman, there's the there's the the fertility issue, but it sounds like for men as well, there's now an increasing uh, danger for infertility among men. And 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 you think, oh, if I just had that relationship five years earlier, and then I was 28 yeah. and able to start again, that just seems a lot easier. So yeah, and you want to be in a relationship for a few years most of the time before you have kids as well. So then it just adds on to that. It's yeah, that's sad when that happens. It's really sad, and and I got a few. Fr Look, everyone our age knows someone in that position. It's really yeah. really sad, and it's and then you need to get over a long term relationship like that. You don't want to just jump into another one. Yeah, and so you need sometimes a year or two. For, uh, that's just it's a, that that is a really I really feel for people in that position, um, and. You know, I'm sure there's there's listeners in that position, and we'd love to hear your perspective on that as well. And you can do that on the on the YouTube now. So go to the youtube.com uh, slash at sex sells podcast. But uh, I think culture, because I don't think the government can do anything about relationships and failed relationships and whatnot. But culture can be better at uh, incentivizing people to, you know, maybe not necessarily do all the hookup culture stuff. Not not to say that it's shameful or immoral, but, you know, from your early 20s, I if I were to give any advice to myself 10 years ago, it would be like, just just have relationships, date people because you learn a lot more, you develop uh, better communication skills, better emotional intelligence, and, like, yeah, you, you can become more charming or whatever when you're constantly forced to try to get laid every week or whatever. But uh, I think for, for your long-term 
emotional health, uh, character building, and probably for the health of society, it's 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 better to to just aim to get into long term relationships. And I think men probably need to hear that more than anyone, uh, even from a young age, like late teens, early twenties, because. You know, if you if you start doing if you start seriously thinking about that long term partner from from your late twenties, and then you have that failed relationship, it can be mm. it can be catastrophic um, if you want to have children. So, uh, it's I think culture can do can do a better job there at uh, incentivizing people to uh, you know Definitely. form long term relationships earlier on, and and also in the same way that. Uh, Sometimes there's a stereotype of uh, fathers and mothers being cringe or just not particularly cool in this day and age. I think there's also a bit of that when it comes to dating for younger people. Like, oh, that's mm. you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be free. And okay, mm. well, like, I mean, yeah. and and when I say this, knowing full well, I, I was 100 percent like that. So I just wonder <laughs> if uh, you know, there's there's a there's a cultural mechanism to be able to change that without reverting back to some kind of um, highly religious ethos about just marrying someone you find at, at your religious organization at 19. Um, you still want to give people a little bit mm. of freedom in their, in their early 20s to make mistakes and, and live a culturally liberated lifestyle without it being detrimental to their long-term prospects of having children. And, and I think that's a tightrope that yeah. we need to figure out as a modern society. And I think yeah. the education is, is one step where just restructuring the whole tertiary education process and then financially um i think the government can do a bit more in that regard and always look to do a bit more but i think parents like like high net worth boomer parents should help their kids out as much as possible a lot a lot do and and that's fair but yeah uh another Another big thing that I always like talking about is that transfer of wealth that's coming in the next 20, 30 years and how much that's going to impact yeah. the millennial generation and, and politics at large. And um, the other the other really uh, negative consequence we get is if there's a lot of people who feel hard done by from society at large, well, they retreat to their silos and they become radicalized on social media and they're not nice people to be around if they feel like, oh, I was hard done by because I didn't get to have the children that I always wanted. Well, mm. they can become resentful and they can become quite bitter and and that manifests in, in really unhealthy political figures and just unhealthy ideas being promulgated on social media. So uh, I, I, I think that should be something that um, governments really prioritize. How do we make sure that those whether it's 80%, that large proportion of people who wanted to have children but felt like they couldn't, how do we at least decrease that to 40% or something or 30%? Mm, and I think that's yeah. going to – that 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 yeah. that could drastically change society in 30, 40 years' time. And how can we – I think a big one as well is how can we support single parents or single mothers in particular um, to think about – I always thought, you know, if I don't find the love of my life or I don't get married or whatever um, – I would just have a baby on my own. Now I think about it, I'm like, that would be literally impossible for me financially. Like completely just not an option. Unless you go back and listen to our old podcast, what was it? Having having friends, having a baby with no. a friend. <laughs> that was just, <laughs> Which was Neil's great idea. Yeah, just <laughs> theorizing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've yeah, really changed my view on all of that, haven't I? Mm. <laughs> 
I don't think I, I still I don't think it's good work. like yeah I fundamentally I don't disagree yeah. like there's single mothers who end up cohabitating where they they all rent Together, yeah, yeah they rent a house and then that's what I meant like that's it's yeah. then so much better for the children to have the three adults in there who can then organize okay rather than the one person cooking every night it just seems logical all right I'm gonna cook for the three kids tonight <laughs> and the other two can do something else it's like a yeah, division of labor care. thing so it's also a thing with sometimes I mean I've only heard of a couple of times it with gay men and women yeah living together being parents um, and then having their own separate lives but still living under a house together with their children sounds great that's all I was trying to uh, imply there I wasn't trying to say oh you know I think it's a good idea I'm, I'm more for it <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The more more cooks in the kitchen, literally and and figuratively, uh, the better it seems to be because uh, yeah. you can you can then yeah divide, divide the labor in a in a far more effective way if if everyone's just a, a single parent um, and say a bunch of kids go to the same school, well then each of those single parents have to drop the kids off at school every day, whereas that they can then carpool and then one parent's yeah. dropping three kids off while the other two. Or cooking lunches or it, it just seems pretty logical to me so or make like a community like a get a com- what's the word i'm looking for like a commune a, a like clan a, yeah like a commune rent a pay, buy a big yeah buy a big piece of land and then everyone gets a little house there'll be a cult leader there yes yeah, so, yeah. there's <laughs> a lot of me <laughs> there's a lot of that sort of there's a lot of ideas that go around about that i've i've, I've read some books yeah, i was reading I'm one seeing... book about housing where they were talking about communal living but nothing really takes off in a major way and a, and a large part of that is that i think the people who are generally attracted to these seemingly fringe ideas are not small c conservative type of people and and you need people who are the sorts of people who think this is the ordered way of doing things and this is how yeah. I will live my life. You need those sorts of people to then become attracted to these new ideas because then they'll organize it in a way that makes it very structured and rigorous and disciplined yeah. and probably will make it succeed. Whereas like the original uh, more left-leaning types have the ideas and the creativity that comes with this. Not the execution. But then, yeah, not necessarily the execution. And so I wonder if you did some kind of crazy experiment which you wouldn't it wouldn't be viable, but as a thought experiment, you put a bunch of people who are conservatively minded, not necessarily religious or socially conservative, and you force them into a commune and said, "Okay, you have to organize society in this particular way." Well, I I wonder if that would then be more effective than say the the creative types who originally came up with the idea of the commune actually trying to execute it. Um, mm. I, I I think I would guess that. Uh, once those executors come into the come into the situation, it would it would be far more effective. So, yeah, yeah that's where we kind of are right now. There are these sort of very progressive ideas, but I think the people attracted to those progressive ideas are very sort of individualistic, liberal-minded people. And then there are the more mm. conservatively-minded people who sort of scoff at that and think, "Oh, that's not the right way to do things," but. Mm you know, culture is just like a an, an ad- adaptive mechanism for an environment and the environment has changed so drastically in the last 100 years that it doesn't seem logical to me that I don't think you dismiss traditional wisdom, but the traditional way of doing things is still the most effective in this particular environment. And I think um, more maybe people who do things by the book should, should potentially experiment with um, different way of doing things so long as it's not, you know, it's it's properly planned out and and 
you know, you, you can then gain some wisdom from it. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think we've kind of explored that a fair bit and come up with some interesting ideas on that one. Do you have any final thoughts on um, the growing the growing proportion of uh, childless individuals in in not just the Western world, the, the world at large? Yeah, I mean, not really. <laughs> I don't have any more thoughts about it. My, I think that every thought of my brain is just gone now. Yeah, <laughs> I just keep, can't yeah. stop thinking about it. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm. I'm interested to see what happens in the future. I'm scared for the future. I just hope that women can be supported, um, in particular with you know not being forced to have any babies they don't want to or things like that. Um, and I hope that people that want to have kids can have access to be able to and have the support to be able to have those children, men and women and they thems anyone. Mm. So those are my final thoughts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone should be able to do. Well, they want to do within reason, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Um, there's a trade-off, yeah. but we got to we got to figure that out. And the next 20, 30 years are going to be very interesting. All right, thank you everyone for yeah. listening. YouTube.com/slash at Sex Sales Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that. And if you have watched us on the YouTube channel, let us know your thoughts in the comments and follow the the Instagram and the and the TikTok. Uh, it's Sex Sales Podcast, I believe, for both of them, but I'll double check that and get get back with a definite one in the next podcast. But we're going to revamp all those socials now that I'm no, no longer doing Neil and Jordan. I'm going to focus a lot on this one. So uh, follow all the socials, share this podcast with someone who you think might benefit from it. Uh, e- even if each of if, even if one in ten of you just share the podcast with someone else, it helps us out a lot. It's the best way to grow a podcast from sharing it. And thank you for listening, guys. See you next time. Thank you. See you next week.